Hello again, everybody. Today is a unique day, I guess. Uh, we're going to start off with some Weird Al Yankovic mu- uh, music. Go ahead and listen, and we'll get into it. Terminating a head of state. Well, our CIA has been a busy, busy bee lately uh, with, uh, I think his name is uh, Seymour Hersh uh, publishing uh, the story behind the Russian, uh, well, Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline. So we start we started with that just because I'm not going to go into that discussion about uh, Hersh's uh, uh, story, uh, but it sets the background for a few other things that are going on uh, that are actually current and ongoing and may potentially uh, result in some uh, real tyranny uh, being expressed. So without further ado, so I'm going to toggle to actually an opening from a, I found this uh, video on uh, YouTube of all things, and it's an author discussing uh, the background and the history of uh, Sullivan and Cromwell. And then I'll I tie it back to what I'm uh, further discussion. So we'll go there first, and then go. We'll go. It's about. I'm, it's a long video, but I'm only going to play like the first five minutes, and then uh, you can take that in. I haven't verified or fact checked all this, but it's uh, it's out there. So. Hugo Turner is a writer and a researcher specializing in the history of anti-imperialism. He blogs at anti-imperialist-u.blogspot.com and you can find him on Twitter at Hugo Turner 1969 and on Facebook as well. I'm excited to have him here to discuss his new article, Sullivan and Cromwell, Capitalism, Intelligence, and Fascism, uh, which appears at libya360.wordpress.com. This is an article about the infamous U.S. corporate law firm, that launched the careers of the Dulles brothers. So thanks for coming on today, Hugo. Thanks for inviting me. Definitely. Uh, so it's common on the left to talk about, people talk about corporate power, but it's it's kind of abstract. So what you've done here is you're focusing on one of the law firms that's kind of so important, the real guiding hands of the corporate power. So tell us how corporate lawyers have affected our history. Well, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell is... With the premier Wall Street law firm, and it sort of even more powerful, which is like the multinational corporations. And it, before there was a CIA, the corporations had to carry out their own coups. And Sullivan Cromwell was a law firm that you go to if you wanted that kind of thing done. 
United Fruit was like another corporation that could carry out coups on its own. So Sullivan Cromwell, I mean, I was, I'm interested mainly because, of course, the most influential CIA director, uh, Dulles, worked at Sullivan Cromwell. So did his brother, who became uh, the Secretary of State and was a major Cold War architect, John Foster Dulles. Well, I was researching and I discovered that the Sullivan Cromwell had created the Panama Canal and launched the coup and done all that stuff that in, in school you learned that it was Teddy Roosevelt, but this is before Teddy Roosevelt was in office. So if you want to uncover like the history of the corporations, the rise of the multinational, like the birth of our world where like intelligence agencies and these multinational corporations rule the world and there's really nothing ordinary people can do about it, you got to like research the, whole, the history of Sullivan Cromwell because it's just sort of a case study and how things really work. Yeah, let's start with the let's start with the beginning of their history. Uh, you wrote basically this started uh, from even before the Civil War. Yes, there's two founders, Algernon Sidney Sullivan, and he before before the Civil War he had uh, well he was married to one of George Washington's descendants, but brought into the American aristocracy, and she was like very pro-slavery, pro-South, and his clients were all like Southern businessmen who, when they did business done in New York, they would use him. So he was actually locked up during the Civil War for defending pirates by the, the then Secretary of State, William Seward, because and he was considered like treacherous for doing this. Basically, like today, we would call them terrorists, basically, because they lost these ships and were just raiding without any, like, under, pertaining to be a merchant ship and raiding people, and then they were caught. These were the Southern ships, the Confederate ships, right? Yeah, this was these Confederate pirates, and he was locked in jail, but he was released right before the thing actually went to trial, and he won the case. But his partner was actually the son of a Union officer. It's kind of like how Sullivan and Cromwell always hedges his bets or will play both sides of the feds, or it has a paradoxical side to the way they do things. Like, they were the first to hire Jewish lawyers, but then they were also, like, central in doing business with Nazi Germany. Sullivan was the first one to sponsor a black lawyer and to join the New York bar. So that's just like an example of that. And Cromwell is the one who actually brought the firm into full success. Like Sullivan had this career where it's like ups and downs. And then he gets this young guy, Cromwell is only 25 at the time to be his partner. And then he died fairly early on. So it was really Cromwell that masterminded the, the rise of Sullivan and Cromwell by working for people like J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers, W. Averill Harriman, Goldman Sachs, etc. And this is all like, after the Civil War. Yes. Sullivan died in 1877. So after that, it was really Cromwell. So I left a link to this article, and, and you can go through it. It's uh, from Our Hidden History. So where where's that? Why it's that got to do with anything today? Well, as it turns out, FTX, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's uh, uh, firm, <laughs> quote-unquote now, uh, he, since he's now being charged with all kinds of things, but... The legal counsel, a judge allowed the law firm of Sullivan and Cromwell to continue advising FTX on its bankruptcy after critics complained of potential conflicts of interest between the firm and the exchange. Uh, that was a New York Times article. I left an archive to that. Uh, so I kind of caught that uh, a while back and I was like, where have I heard that name before? Oh, yes. Uh, Sullivan and Cromwell. Those are, uh, they were the uh, hirers of one... Uh, John Foster Dulles and um, and his brother Alan Dulles and of course CIA State Department heads back in the late 40s or actually 1950s. They, that's their primary uh, 
time when they were actually operating under Eisenhower. And Eisenhower probably hit a little too late, figured out, it's like, he was the one who, uh, in, or let's just say, let us know about the uh, military-industrial complex. Well, guess what? It's gotten a lot worse. Now it's the military and health-industrial complex, which we'll uh, uh, tie in later. So, with that being said, um, uh, kind of uh, looking back at, uh, like I said, I left the links to the description about uh, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell. There's a book on it. So, the reason why I want to, uh, this episode's going to be tired, who, uh, titled as Who is the Power Drunk Tyrant? Um, there seems to be a, uh, uh, well, there's currently a, um, a plan to get rid of uh, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. And, it, and that was one of their key little things, of one of their smear, it's a smear campaign. Um, reading the letter. There's even a, a little quote in there about uh, contact. Uh, there's an FBI source in it. Very, it's very interesting. It's basically personal, um, personal attacks on O'Keefe about his management, you know, style and things that come out of his mouth. This is something. I mean, he's been there for a decade or more. I think it's like 13 years now. I think he started in 2010, 2011, whatever the case may be. And of course, uh, funders and. People that work there, people that got fired, people who didn't like the way he talked to them, blah, blah, blah. A lot of personal bickering, it sounds like, and uh, jealousy. Um, think of him as like the chief editor, and these are his underlings that he may or may not think are producing to his uh, expectations, or there's a personal conflict. A lot of these people just sound very bitter, sound very butthurt about a bunch of... Uh, um, situations where they were just uh, sitting on this and then they all were uh, sniping in the background. And, of course, they just had, the, had released one of the biggest kabooms they've ever had with uh, 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 Pfizer and uh, catching a fairly high-placed executive talking about modifying viruses and gain-of-function or, you know, creating, uh, what would you say, the mutations and then creating the vaccines to address the mutations that they are uh, uh, forecasting and or developing in other words creating a market at least at the at least at the long term and why is that important well you have a guy currently in the white house who hasn't given up emergency power and it doesn't have any have much plan to do such things um, as far as uh, I, I was pulling up an article for Reuters. Reuters, sorry, I'm terrible out pronouncing that. So anyway, um, it uh, there's a key at the bottom of this article, and I left the link to it. It says the OMB in a separate statement that Biden would veto a proposed bill in the United States Congress that would eliminate COVID vaccine ma- mandate, COVID nineteen vaccine mandates for healthcare providers working on certain federal programs. Um, that's always that been. The, the thing is, is they've created this market, but it gets, but there's more. So you have the World Health Organization that has been, they're starting to recede this idea of a new pandemic, avian flu. I forget what it's, H5 or H5, H1, something along the, I don't know, I'm not a virologist or the name nomenclature escapes me, but avian flu that will transport into mammals, which of course includes us, 
And so they're trying to gin this up, the World Health Organization, and we know about them being, uh, looking for pushing this pandemic treaty. They were working on it hard and heavy last year. And it turns out the African uh, nations or countries were not on board with it. They signed, didn't want to get involved in this. And they, they probably saved uh, saved a lot of bacon. And the Biden administration is hot and heavy to get, you know, they were the, one of the key pushers of this because they're tied to the World Economic Forum and who is located in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, amongst other places, but and they work with China. Uh, we know that there's an authoritarian push. They're using health emergencies to push all sorts of evil policies, um, echoing history, echoing corporate fascism, the Nazis, the whole the whole rigmarole of that whole uh, regime amongst uh, one of the key aspects of the of that regime was the idea of using medical hygiene uh, as a methodology to get people to do and do things that they wanted them to do. And who were the most uh, prevalent uh, people who were pushing this? They were the doctors, the psychiatrists. Um, it's been used in, it was used in uh, communist, uh, the USSR in terms of using uh, there was more of a mental psychology so they would, uh, you know, declare any, any uh, let's just say, anybody who resisted their uh, ideology as crazy or label them in whatever manner or mechanism to get them either institutionalized or obviously pushed off to a, a future gulag of some sort. Uh, so, yes, this has been done by many a group of people who want to seek power. They use the health profession to enable uh, their agenda. And uh, speaking of agendas, I'll play this little. Uh, now, just remember, Joe Biden doesn't have a whole lot of control over what comes out of his mouth. But and 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 it always makes me wonder. You know, what can we? Uh, there's no follow up because we have reporters who don't ask what he means, and of course, he wouldn't even understand what the question is or how he would respond to it. It's only 16 seconds, so hopefully, it won't be too annoying. <laughs> So he said, we'll extend it to May uh, 15th to make sure we get everything done. He said the Supreme Court will end it. When, uh, re- end it. So he, they have extended this to, they say, May 11th. Interesting how they're... And, of course, they, they've used the cover of, oh, well, we're going to continue our policies, this uh, public emergency, and we're going to help people and pay for their, you know, uh, vaccines and tests and certain treatments under the PHE declaration, as they call it. Um, the, when it expires, these costs will be transferred to private insurance and uh, government health plans. This is according to Reuters. So it, it makes me... It, it, it makes one wonder why anybody would go along with this because, of course, um, one of the things that got kicked over during the Trump administration was about uh, modernizing influenza vaccines and its Executive Order uh, 13887 was signed September 19th of 2019. And one of the key aspects of this is about about uh, Section 3. It, it talks about the National Influenza Vaccine Tax Task Force. And this is where 
this is the danger that we are operating under because when you have a declared national emergency, um, executive authority is uh, and and it maintains a national emergency and isn't being stopped by either Congress or the Supreme Court. I mean, we're operating outside of what would be cons- uh, considered we're operating under a uh, emergency uh, declared emergency that hasn't ceased. And it kicks in certain, let's just say, powers amongst executives. According to the Washington Post, I think it was a few days ago, they said there's 42 uh, emergency status. So this is states and national. I'm just very curious. But anyway, let me read this little section here. It says, uh, There is hereby established a National Influenza Vaccine Task Force. The task force shall identify actions to achieve the objectives identified in Section 2 of this order and monitor and report on the implementation and results of those actions. The task force shall be co-chaired by the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Health and Human Services or their designees. So you get your tying health with the Secretary of Defense. And then it has the departments and a list of departments and all the people that are tied to this task force. The Department of Defense, Department of Justice, Department of Agriculture, the Department of Veteran Affairs, Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, National Institutes of Health, uh, the Center for Medicare uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, and the Bio. Uh, Biomedical Advanced Research Development Authority, or BARDA. So, and they can work with other federal uh, government representatives uh, with Section C, and sees where they can have meetings and whatnot, and they meet together and talk about all kinds of uh, uh, different councils that are. Uh, the task force may consult with state, local, tribal, and territorial government office officials and private sector representatives as appropriate in uh, consent with applicable law. And that is another thing too up here. It talks about the more uh, public-private partnerships and then how they're going to do these vaccine growths and the whole rigmarole of that. I want to read the whole thing because the idea is is they they also mention, mentions right at the beginning, it talks about pandemics and what else is new when you introduce the World Health Organization and they're trying to introduce another uh, potentiality for calling something a pandemic and in terms of avian flu and of course then you can just go from one crisis to the next crisis without any cessation of national emergency under the uh, so what is not being visible to most people is that we are technically or could be considered technically under martial law they haven't rolled out the military They haven't done that because they know that would raise up the hackles of all the people. The people out here are fairly sheepish and they don't understand things and they're not paying attention to things. There have been other people who have raised this alarm and, of course, everybody calls them a conspiracy theorist. Now, you don't understand that under national... I mean, we saw all kinds of authoritarian moves done by states, governors, and whatnot under a declared emergency. And we saw powers kick in and we saw... People, uh, anybody who tried to resist, were told that they needed to, you know, shut their trap and get with the program because there was a pandemic and we had to be scared. And uh, you know, there was probably some semblance to that and some uh, or some reality to that, but most of it was uh, being overblown 
and we were doing things that were rather obtuse. And a lot of people have criticized Trump for that in terms of declaring it. And then obviously Biden's been carrying it on. And when he mentioned that little thing, we gotta we got to get things done. What are those things that he needs to get done? And currently we're facing an economic crisis or certainly an economic uh, collapse is forthcoming based upon a whole host of uh, bad data. I think things are just holding together by, you know, just by luck at this point. And once the markets decide to do otherwise, there's my phone. Once uh, uh, some of the markets um, start getting more and more bad news, they're going to go in a different direction. So I think at that point, I think we're pretty close to where I need to And I guess the thing I'm, uh, for example... Um, I want to relay back that there was a vote to end the pandemic in the House. Uh, the vote was 220 Republicans and 210 Democrat, and there were four abstentions. So it was really split along party lines. Of course, uh, that just goes to goes to the division of this country. Now, granted, you know, and even and this is saying that those the thing is is these people are not taking this seriously. I mean, really. They evidently think that, <laughs> and by the way, Biden doesn't even run this run this rodeo. We know what little authority he's used, or when he's made decisions, it doesn't seem like the military even carries them out. So it makes you wonder exactly who is really running our country. We've all been asking that question, because you know he doesn't pay any attention to what's going on, and what is he? I mean, he's just a <laughs> he's just an empty suit that they. They roll out there to give people some kind of, you know, idea that there that there is a president, and I mean most people are aware of this by now, but uh, some of them are going to accept that. But uh, just looking at this is the hypothesis that I have is that if there is any kind of economic uh, um, situation that comes up here, that really kicks over. Plus with the World Health Organization looking to to uh, get themselves this time they might actually go well we need to declare a you know a pandemic and then of course then everybody will gear right back up and from a psychological standpoint a lot of people there uh, this time who knows what they'll do you know I don't know whether they'll immediately comply I don't know whether they'll accept that reality. The media propaganda will go back in full full gear again. Um, I've also read some things that um, make me wonder how these doctors think. Uh, when I say that, I one of the people that I met along the way in this uh, journey, uh, uh, she, this person, well, I'll say she, uh, had provided me some insights into some of the people that were behind vaccine pushes. And I read some of the papers of people who were a part of this vaccine push, uh, and, and it tied in Peter Dozik and it tied in a few others. So I went back and read one of the, the one of the papers that uh, actually this person wrote directly responding to COVID about equity and uh, countries and whatnot. And this person was talking about right, you know, talking about a world response and. The World Health Organization and developing pandemic centers and the rich countries should pay for the poor countries and uh, all this, uh, I would say, bad health policy. 
And this is a doctor. This is a doctor who practices at a children's hospital. And based upon that, I mean, thinking of the the implications of this is what the mentality is and this is what they publish. This is a published article. It's cited evidently, you know, I looked at the guy's uh, history and uh, citation level and, and whatnot and all that, all that stuff and how many articles. Not a, you know, and obviously he's included in this group. Amongst that group included a lawyer who specifically designed a forced vaccination program for children uh, out of California. And of course, California has been heavy about trying to push forward a vaccination program. Uh, I think it's uh, Maryland has a uh, has a policy or has a bill that they're trying to push so that they can get uh, uh, vaccines down to the age of uh, you know 14. And of course, this is actually a World Health Organization policy they've been trying to push to eliminate the parent. So all they want to do is pump vaccines in the, the kids' arms. They're not worried about real health. They're not worried about clean water, good food. Uh, having uh, appropriate uh, power and homes and, and whatnot uh, to the where they live, wherever it is in the world. Uh, the investments in that are just never done. It's all about, you know, sticking vaccines in kids' arm uh, to avoid whatever uh, local uh, particular situation or outbreaks happen and whatnot. This is This is where they make their money. This is where they bring in big pharma and do all that kind of stuff. And it just seems so obtuse. But uh, nevertheless, when you have Bill Gates behind a lot of this stuff, which he is, his fingerprints are all over just about every organization in the healthcare field. And I'm talking from cancer to HIV to anything, malaria, anything that's tied to tropical medicine and and thereof, anything. Just, Just he's everywhere his tentacles and his tentacles run the world health organization he not only funds it directly but indirectly he funds about 30 organizations that are involved in the world health organization's funding so when you add that all up i mean he provides somewhere between 20 to 30 percent of their overall funding either directly or uh, directly or indirectly and all that and you know sepi and a few other organizations that he's either founded or um you know, substantially, basically backstops the entire organization. So you're dealing with a very malicious person who doesn't, who's tied to obviously Jeffrey Epstein and a host of other bad actors in this uh, particular fraud. And uh, yeah, and then you add in, you know, people like Biden who are, you know, they, by the way, you know, Biden's uh, son and, and Biden's or even, I mean, if you want to get cons- really conspiratorial, I mean, they're they're uh, they own property a stone's throw from down in uh, down there in the Bahamas near Epstein's Island, and just uh, Lane Mas- uh, Maxwell uh, uh, had a close relationship, or at least very did a lot of uh, extra work with people like Nathan Wolf, who uh, ran Metabiota, who Hunter Biden invested in. So there's some there's some linkages there, and. And you can go in, go in further than that, but uh, you know, as far as how this has all been working out, there's other uh, tentacles stretching out into other law firms or other business, huge business entity, entities like the Carlisle Group, who actually made a cameo appearance in the Maxwell case, and uh, 
you can get involved again and when you pop the hood on that i'm sure there'll be a lot more that could be said there so when you get into power drunk uh, power drunk tyrants uh there some of them are very visible and uh operating in the background and of course then you have people who will uh always complain about somebody being some kind of tyrant yet they have very little if any power and if they if they had so much power they wouldn't be so easily removed by a handful of knuckleheads that work at a organization who's been trying to reveal at least or at least doing some kind of investigative journalism where they're trying to uh, um, um, let's say put put people on the spot for what they actually say and do so uh, I'm going to leave it there for now I'm going to close out with my actual closing music instead of Weird Al Yankovic so we'll go from there and uh, I hope to uh, uh, talk to you a little later um, it's always a pleasure to try to go through thoughts and feelings about uh, what's going on in the world as obviously from my neck of the woods I mean sometimes things aren't necessarily um, bad when I say bad I mean personally they're not you know dry, driven by um, you know some things aren't very visible you know, from one day to the next things can be very normal and nothing's uh, happening but when it happens it happens real quick I mean it doesn't take much to cause supply chain disruptions which we all are aware of it only takes a few days for that to take place or occur and I'm, I'm going to talk over the music here uh, that the ideas that were were, uh, were in a very different time very different place and there's lots of massive disruption that's going to take place and trying to figure out exactly who's going to do what is going to be a whole other adventure so um, I'll close with uh, God bless the United States of America and uh, God save the world